0: Hey everybody! Thank you for joining us, and welcome to the Product in LA podcast. I'm your host Ethan Cole, and this is an opportunity to shine the spotlight on some of the exceptional technology leaders we have as part of the LA community in an unedited, one take, organic conversation. With us today is Thor Clark. Super excited to have you here, Thor.
1: Great! Thanks for having me. Oh, Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is this is gonna be fun. Thank you for coming to the studio. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsors product analytics brought to you by Uruit. Do you need help completing your roadmap items? Uruit is a digital product development agency with over 15 years of experience helping companies build web and mobile apps by embedding directly into their Scrum teams. Uruit's expert full-stack software developers provide quality code to help you get the job done. If you need React or Angular front-end devs or perhaps help with Node.js, .NET, or Python development, DevOps, or even product or design to help solidify requirements, they're ready to help you close out roadmap items and actually release to customers. Learn more at uruit.com, that's u r u i t.com. We're also brought to you by the Product Manager Association of Los Angeles, available at pma.la. They're the largest professional organization for product and designers in LA with more than 3,000 members from over 500 companies. They host monthly meetups, organize the Product Leader Council where CPOs and heads of product connect in small 6 to 8 member pods and have a mentorship program where they connect working product managers with students from underrepresented groups to help build a better, more diverse next-gen. To learn more about PMA, go to pma.la. To learn more about the mentorship program, go to pma.la/mentorship. Our guest today is Thor Clark. He's the founder of Revity. He's also in past roles been the CTO of Well Health, CTO of Tiger Connect, he was co-founder of and CTO at SignNow that was acquired by Barracuda, and he was CTO of InvestTools that was acquired by TD Ameritrade. And one interesting fact you might find by looking at his LinkedIn page is he's a Techstars mentor. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about what what it's like mentoring for those teams?
1: Yeah, sure. Happy to. And uh, Well Health actually came through the Techstars program. Oh, really? Uh, so so nice. we had a connection there with Matt Kozloff, who runs the program now uh in affiliation with uh, Cedar Sinai for the the healthcare program there at TechStars.
0: That's great. That's and, a, a good connection.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. And Matt's a great guy, runs a great program. Uh so I mentored two uh two cohorts last year. Um and it was fun, super interesting in terms of the um the people that they have that come through that program. Okay. And the companies are they're they've generally got a little bit of revenue. But they're really trying to still figure out their product market fit. Okay. Um, super dynamic. Um, the best thing about it for me has just been uh, the ability to keep in touch with some of the uh, some of the companies after um, I've gone through the mentoring program with them and and see them really succeed and grow. One of those is a uh, pair health in the social determinants of health space. Uh, great CEO and CTO, and um, have really just progressed by leaps and bounds since the program.
0: That's so awesome. That's I imagine really you, your, your uh, experience, you know, having had a couple of exits and built things from from the ground up, that, that probably comes in handy. I probably appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, often um, all we can do as mentors is, is really just be a sounding board, okay. frankly, because we're not doing any of the work. We're not really making any of the decisions. Right. Um, but I, I do think there is a lot of value in having gone through the process a couple of times and just having that perspective and and being able to share that. Uh, with the uh, with the founders and a couple connections here and there that's always useful as well.
0: Did you get that when you are coming up? Is it, is it partially like, oh man, I wish we had this program when I was, you know, founding my first company. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred
1: percent. I think particularly, like I, I particularly feel it with the CTOs in those groups. Okay. Um, because, you know, my first couple of rounds, I was really just kind of figuring it out on the fly. Right. And, um, you know, occasionally you, you meet someone that's, that's somewhat helpful, but having a structured program like this, where you can kind of come in and have some deep conversations and, um and really kind of help people navigate uh, processes and experiences that you've been through before. Um, hopefully is helpful. I, I certainly would have found it helpful early in my career.
0: Oh, that's fun. Uh, and, and, you know, thank you for, for giving back like you do. That, that's kind of incredible, uh, especially in this community here. Uh, I'd love to, to kind of go to the beginning, you know, so you've been CTO, you've been founder, especially in technologies that, didn't exist. Right. So how did you find your way here? Did you, did you think that you'd end up in the medical field or do did you, did you think you'd end up in health tech, but that wasn't even a thing back then? <laughs> yeah. you know, It's a good question.
1: Um, I, I've been a technologist my entire career. Okay. So I, you know, I was writing code since I was 12. Since you were 12. Yeah. Um, okay. wrote a, I don't know if you ever ran across the, the life Ah, uh, simulation, very kind of old school like kind of city or no, it's a um it's a very simple kind of cellular automation program that um, uses a very a couple of very simple rules to create very complex patterns okay. in any case. um. I remember I, I saw it at the Exploratorium just when I was a kid up in San Francisco, okay. and um, wrote it in assembly language on an old uh, on an old TRS-80 computer, and that was kind of my first introduction to programming, and I've just loved computers ever since. At age twelve, yes, wow. And um, uh, so I've always been uh, really interested in technology, um, and did a little bit of machine learning as an undergrad, uh, and and so kind of got my my hands in that a little bit. And got into financial services and then ad tech and and have done a little bit with, um, you know, e-signature and, and online transactions, uh, healthcare was never really on my radar to be totally transparent about it. My mother was a doctor. And so I always did have that exposure, uh, to, to a little bit of healthcare. Um, but towards the, the end of my time at, at Barracuda, I was really kind of looking for for what's next. Okay. I'd gone through my, you know, put in my commitment at Barracuda and was was kind of excited to get back into the startup world. Right. And um had this opportunity with Tiger Connect. And I was excited to get into healthcare. I thought, you know, having kind of invested a lot of time in in really building my management and technical expertise, um, I I was interested in getting into something where I'd have an impact on people. And, and I think by that time, you know, I'd had a couple of, had a couple of kids and it's some, some little more exposure to the healthcare system. I think a lot of people right. in their relative youth go through their lives without, without really getting much exposure to the healthcare system at all, right? Uh, really, you know, apart from maybe a physical on occasion. Um, uh, but you know, once you start to get a little older, you see maybe your parents, start to go through, you know, some some more significant interactions with the healthcare system, or you start to have kids and and in, in one way or another, um, there's often a significant healthcare component there.
0: I said I thought you were gonna go like the, the root of like your priorities changing, when you have kids, but it's more it's it's partially that, but it sounds like it's very much your your relationship with healthcare changes in general. Like generally speaking, if you're healthy in your youth, yeah. You don't really think too much about the healthcare system. You got to go to a doctor. You need to have health insurance, but for the most part, it's kind of something that's not part of your daily life. And as you grow up, it kind of, is kind of a bang, bang. It's like uh child care and elder care. And all of a sudden you're, you're impacted by the system. You never knew really existed.
1: Well said, well said. And I, I gained a deeper appreciation, I think for the impact mm. and the value of those services and frankly having a little bit more exposure to it really exposed for me, the, the technical challenges and the administrative challenges and the workflow challenges, just as you kind of go through the system hmm. as a patient or as a caregiver, uh, you could really see the inefficiencies and the challenges that the nurses and the doctors are dealing with, as well as your your experience as a patient, which is frustrating in, in so many ways, even, even today.
0: I, I I still can't believe we haven't figured out that the the paper form with the clipboard and the and <laughs> I gave you every single time I, for like ten years before even I was even into tech as much as I am now like I didn't it's like cause there's got to be a better way how are how are we still doing this how is there not just like one digital thing that goes one place um, I'm sure you have you have answers to that well <laughs> it's, it's actually probably more com- way yeah, more complex than you, you know have it's
1: done. it's interesting it's just I think because healthcare is so huge um, I think Twenty percent of the U.S. GDP, something like that. So it's a very significant. U.S. how there is twenty percent of U.S. GDP, something like that. Okay. Uh, don't don't quote me on that. Yeah. Um, but but it's very significant, and it is a it's a huge machine, and so as you can imagine, once you start to peel the onion a little bit and better understand the, the reasons that a lot of these decisions were made and a lot of these systems are in place, uh, it it takes time and investment. To okay. unwind those and, and put in appropriate solutions, and uh, you know, of course, you have to think about privacy and the regulatory environment and the existing infrastructure that is not going to disappear. Right. So it it is complicated, uh, but but for me, I felt like it was a a, a worthwhile use of my abilities, um, and an and an interesting area to to focus
0: on. Did you, you see know. a lot of crossover between, you know? Financial investment and the healthcare industry. Like, is there was there for you it was like a very steep learning curve, or when you got into, it were like, oh, this actually feels pretty similar to what I've been doing. Yeah, that's a great
1: question. I, I some things were very different, and some things were very similar. Okay. Uh, so, so for me, I, I think luckily, um, although my career has been kind of varied in terms of the industries, it's it's always been SaaS, okay. always been enterprise SaaS. Selling into- Software as a service. Yes, yeah. yep. Selling into relatively large enterprises and generally in highly regulated environments. Okay. So financial services, um, e-signature, electronic transactions, ad tech, yes and no, but but there's still a significant regulatory component there around personal information. So that was very natural for me in terms of understanding how to build, maintain, develop platforms that met a variety of regulatory requirements. You know the acronyms are a little different, right? But but ultimately it's it's quite similar um, from a process perspective. Uh, the the systems and the data is very different, okay. um, and in part. And I I never forget I was at my first HIMS. HIMS is uh, one of the major healthcare conferences, and I'd okay. my the first one I'd ever been to. I was I think three weeks into my stint my first healthcare like a sea full of strangers. Uh, yeah, yes, <laughs>
0: you, you know your industry, and all of a sudden you go to a brand new, and you know anyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And I I was at a uh, seminar, and they had someone up there at Alt. Trying to remember his name, but very smart guy. Um, and in his his take on healthcare data was so interesting because in almost every other, uh, well, not almost every other, but but the the endeavors that I had been a part of, financial services, ad tech, things like that, the data was really defined and gen- generated by humans and fully controlled by humans. And that we've decided what a stock market is. We've decided what a stock price is. We've decided all this information and agreed. That's how we're going to navigate this system that we've built. Whereas healthcare is very different and that we're really dealing with the human body Hmm. and and input from natural systems, which is uh, relatively unknown still. Yeah. When it comes right down to it and that you might be collecting the right set of data today, and there might be a discovery tomorrow. That means, oh, we need to collect new data and we didn't have that data in the past, Oh, interesting. or there might be data we're collecting today. We don't care about anymore or data that we have been collecting, but without enough precision to be really useful. And there, um, there was, that makes the system much more complicated. Because it's constantly changing out from under your feet, it's not really a static system, and there is't a governing body that gets together once a year and says, "Well, <laughs> now we're going to change <laughs> things." right? It's really just this huge uh, human effort to better understand the human body and and the human mind, uh, frankly, uh, when it comes to behavioral health issues. And as a technologist, you know you want to support that, but the domain is different. It's 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 not as simple um or as predictable as financial services.
0: I was gonna say, is it do you feel like it's more reactionary? You you have to react to these changes or you have to react to like so, some new disease that comes up and all of a sudden it throws out the window everything you thought you knew? Well,
1: I think so. I mean, I'll give you COVID as a great example. Yeah. You know, you know, frankly, like we um so I lived through that at Well Health and we transitioned um from you know, fast growing. We're probably doubling, you know, year over year at the time. Um, just, just rolling out patient communication, patient engagement solutions. Do a quick description
0: of what Well Health is.
1: Right? Oh, sure, yeah. So, so Well Health manages um, the last mile of patient communication outside of the office. Okay. So everything that um, every interaction that a uh, patient might have with a healthcare system um, outside the office, okay, can go through Well Health. So billing. Um, appointment reminders, you know, questions, uh, my kid has a rash, what should I do about it? Should I come in? All of those types of things. So essentially replacing the phone and apps with messaging solutions.
0: Okay, during COVID, I, ma- I imagine there's a lot of questions being asked.
1: Well, it was a huge, um, uh, a huge change for us, because all of a sudden, some of the things we had been working on mattered much, much less than than they uh, than they'd used to. Right. And then some things mattered much, much more. So we, for example, rolled out a, um, uh, virtual waiting room solution so that you could, you could go to your visit. If you had to do an in-person visit, you go to your visit, but you could wait in your car. Right. And then the front office. So rather than the front office calling people in the waiting room, the front office just push a button and say, Oh, Jane Smith is you know ready to see it. You know, is, their room is available. And the person would be sitting in their car, get a message and say, okay, great. Now i can come in. They'd walk right into their, to their room. Uh, so those were the types of solutions that were really um, became necessary. Yeah. Kind of out of the blue. And, um, and so it is reactive. That's, I mean, I don't like to to think of myself as a reactive person. No. But I, but I, I think that's very true.
0: But yeah, you know, it's a different world from like finance where like there could be changes in the, in this economic situation, but I don't think. Yeah, you know, they they're not as drastic as that. For example, and it's funny because I thought about not nah, thinking about COVID, and now again, like in this context and this lens, I always thought that people were throwing roadmaps out the window, and it sounds like you were. But it, from a from a CTO perspective, there had to be some kind of excitement because there's a new challenge, right? It's, okay, something we never thought of before. You know, like okay, there's no ra- there's no waiting rooms. We want people to go in one at a time. They're going directly to the, the office we need to have a waiting room from people's cars and, mm-hmm. you know, we need to have some new solution. I think I feel like from the, the CTO, you, even though, maybe the, 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 stimulus for it is reactionary. There's a lot of inventiveness that comes into how how do I solve this new problem that arose?
1: I, I, yeah. So I would agree with that. I think, well, there were a couple things that were really um, positive about it. One, from a team perspective, we, it just really reinforced our mission Hmm. Um, because we'd always really thought of ourselves and and what we did as um, ultimately serving patients and, and providers and in a way the opportunity to not just kind of sit at home and stress about, about things, but to actually get work done that was having a real impact on, on real patients um, and helping people. Exactly. It was, it was um, um, just, so we're kind of lucky in a way to to have that opportunity to to really have an impact and contribute in a meaningful way. Um and yes, and then of course, technical challenges. I don't think you get into technology unless you love solving problems with other people. Right. And um, right. you know, what a problem to solve, right? You've got so you know, your your team internally all kind of working together on this. You're in you're integrating closely with with. At least one other organization, often two or three other organizations, to to integrate into workflows and get everything actually up and running and working appropriately. And um, and so there's the components that they're very fun and, and I think enjoyable for everyone who's involved.
0: That's incredible. I mean, you, brought, you just kind of bringing back these feelings that you kind of forget, I guess, is uh, those first couple weeks and months in COVID when you wanted to be able to do something, right? So. At PMA, we we did a hackathon with AILA and USC and UCLA, uh, just trying to figure out, hey, what could we do, you know, students and, you know, mentors and advisors to make a difference? Uh, it, it must have been really invigorating to be on, you know, on, on your team at that moment because you're like, okay, guys, like, this, it's our turn. Like, yeah. so we get to actually do something. We can make a difference. The world is literally sitting around hoping they could do something uh, this is us. This is great.
1: Yeah. 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 So it was, um, so, but yeah, that's a, that was a, a great, great question. Um, and, and I think yeah, a lot of what we do is reactive. So, so I'll give you another example. We, um, you know, in, in what we're working on today around, um, diagnosing, um, more effectively, more accurately kind of out of a doctor's note. And I don't mean, uh, Clinical decision support, but really kind of extracting what's in the doctor's note and providing the the right set of codes okay. that are as accurate and um, it's like correct as possible based on what the doctor has put in.
0: And a code to be like a billing
1: code? Uh, yeah, I, a diagnose a diagnosis code. Um, so, uh, so for for whatever type of condition it is, it could okay. be a broken finger, could be diabetes, could be. And any number of things those Um, are two very different things.
0: The field of what it could be (laughs) is fantastic. Again, in healthcare, you know, it's not just like, Hey, is it a profit or a loss? It's like a broken finger or diabetes or any number of things in between. Yeah. And,
1: and so, so in the last few years, that's actually transitioned from what they call the ICD nine codes to the ICD 10 codes. And that's gone from about, if I recall correctly, about 20,000, ICD-9 codes to now seventy thousand ICD-10 codes, and really what they've done there is that they just developed more specific di- diagnoses to more accurately reflect the condition of the patient, okay, based on uh, progress in in medicine, right? Progress in understanding these conditions in a at a more detailed level, right? Um, as well as progress in understanding where we can. Kind of have an impact on patients based on their conditions and the level of detail about their conditions we need to be able to make decisions and uh, create uh, care plans and and so on for those patients um, with the data that we have. So that's another example where we're reactive and that we're responding to this much more detailed set of diagnostic codes. Yeah, uh, and the benefits of that are we get more data. We get ultimately better patient care. Right. The challenge is if I'm a doctor, I'm not, I am not going to remember 70,000 or 20,000 oh. codes. And I'm certainly not going to remember even in a relatively narrow specialty, you know, I might have two or 300 codes. Now it's gone to 600 or a thousand codes and managing that change is, is very challenging and, and ultimately kind of frustrating for a doctor. Um, particularly when it has impacts on patient care and reimbursement and a bunch of other things. Um, so that's what we're kind of focused on today is that in, in one of these areas is helping doctors manage that, that change right. that is forced upon them more easily and um, more effectively.
0: I would, um I just can't help, but think that, that there's a challenge for the accuracy. So, you know, it's, It's a little easier when you only have, you know, five things to to select from, but then when you have 50, we're we're scaling it down incredibly, but like if there's 50 things even to select from, how do you make sure you get it right? Is there, how how do you guys deal with that type of, you know, inaccuracy at the level when you've gone to so many options beyond analysis paralysis? Like you, you have to pick something, but it's very specific. Like how how do you manage you know that change that change management? Imagine part of it's like, hey, training up how to pick you know six thousand five hundred fifty four from six thousand five
1: hundred fifty five. It's uh, ultimately the the doctor is the source of truth. Okay, that provider good, that good. that doctor <laughs> is the source of truth, um, and so so the goal there is to provide an interaction that makes it as easy as po- as possible for the doctor to approve the um the ultimate decision yeah around that set of diagnostic codes or that particular diagnostic code uh, so so that's about well what's in the what's in the note right? right which is the doctor's kind of output it's their best thinking about the patient and how does that map to this list of diagnostic codes which one seems to be the most likely and then the interaction with the doctor which is you present to the doctor this, this diagnostic code, which is, you know, has clinical terminology in it, but the doctor can certainly understand, right. And then fine-tuning that with the doctor. And maybe there's additional information that can go into the note that helps clarify what this very specific code is, or um, uh, or, or perhaps there's just a different code that um, is adjacent um, to the one that the, the system is looking at. And so it's that kind of back and forth. Which helps the doctor finalize that diagnosis, make sure it's correctly documented in the note, okay. and then just move on to the next um, to the next patient and to that next encounter. And versus this scenario you might see now, which is, well, I've I've done it as a doctor, and I'm going to pass it off to a medical coder. They're going to look at it three days later. Right. Then maybe they're going to come back to me and say, hey, what did you mean here? Was it is it this diagnosis or this one? And then as a doctor, I think, okay, well, now I've got to go back and. Try and refresh my memory around that interaction I had and with the how, patient three many, days ago.
0: Yeah, how many interactions have I had since that moment? Yes.
1: Yes. So it's really just shrinking that time, making it simpler and easier uh, for the doctor to accomplish that. And, and fr- frankly, like more accurately um, ultimately, because as you can imagine in that kind of scenario, there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of activity that may just not occur when you've got that long time delay and we see healthcare systems where they actually have notes and encounters that just fall off, never get submitted huh. because they don't hit that that time frame that's required to, to get those claims submitted to whoever the ultimate payer is. So there's a lot of uh, time-based uh, components to that entire process that, uh, that are challenging.
0: I think the hope too would be that by fixing some of these inaccuracies or these delays that it would bring the overall efficiency of the healthcare system into place where maybe it comes back to the end consumer eventually and the price isn't as high.
1: Yes, yeah. Improving efficiency in the back office frees up more resources, more time um, for the the care delivery component of it, for the work that the nurses and the doctors are doing and the time that they're able to spend with patients. Um, And then also the communication with the patient. And improving that the timeliness of that communication, the timeliness of that entire process, um, is also beneficial to a patient in terms of understanding what was I diagnosed with, what what's my treatment plan, and and all the rest of it.
0: Yeah, and even in the in the in the room too, you know, my my wife's a labor and delivery nurse, and she tells me about the charting that they must they have to do, and they have to manually input so much information with you know generally two patients at a time during a twelve hour shift. Um, it's it's definitely an area where there could be some technology to to help them out and let them focus more on the actual care in the room, which they do. They act they often stay, you know, past hours to to finish up on the charting, but um, to give those folks a break to focus on the, the actual task at hand more than the documentation in the back end would be yeah, be very welcome. I know from that side.
1: Yes, well, that's uh, that's great to hear. Yeah, I, I love healthcare. Frankly, I just feel like there's so much opportunity to have an impact. Yeah, and because it's a highly regulated environment, um, and in a very conservative environment, mm-hmm. there's still a tremendous opportunity with the with the right approach, with a conservative approach that that utilizes new technology appropriately, uh, to. genuinely improve um the care that people get and the experience that doctors have and and nurses um in delivering that care and
0: where do you see it going i love that so i'm asking a technologist who loves healthcare like where where do you see where do you see that the biggest leaps in the next call it five years
1: well my my hope just to be blunt about it is that the biggest leaps come from biosciences okay you know I i think better cancer treatments. Hmm. I think some of the, um, uh, some of the new therapies that are being developed. And I know, I know there's actually, uh, uh quite a few of these startups here in, in LA, um, in the biosciences, and that seems to be kind of a, a growing, um, uh, segment coming out of, I guess, UCLA and, and other universities. Uh, so, so I think some of that immunotherapy, uh, work and, and some of these other approaches is super interesting and, and compelling. Um, so that's probably the big picture from yeah. from my perspective is uh, just just better care um, and better outcomes. I think on technology, uh, I don't. I think obviously, you know, we're working with some of these large language models and some other ML approaches and some rules based things. Right. My perception is that the big opportunities in terms of the application of that new technology are going to be back office and administrative. Mm. I, I don't necessarily see a huge opportunity with clinical decision support, with these types of, of AI tools. Um, I do see a huge opportunity from a back office perspective that that these new tools have unlocked a couple components of the workflow. That yeah. Prior to this, you just, you had to have a person there. And then when you have a person there, it, it creates all kinds of inefficiencies and bottlenecks. Um, but once you've removed that need, you can really then automate a full, um, a full cycle of this administrative work and then do that very quickly and optimize it and improve it in a bunch of different ways. Um, ultimately with the, you know, delivering a better experience for for doctors and nurses and patients. And so I I think there's huge opportunities there, Hmm. uh, on the clinical decision support side, I'm, I'm not so sure from, I, I, once you peel the onion on that a little bit, I, I don't perceive as much value today from the AI tools around actual, actually doing the work of diagnosing, um, patients. Yeah. And so, but we'll see, I could, I could certainly be wrong about that.
0: Yeah. And, and part of that is too, it's just, there's just so many variables that yeah yes the AI can be trained for it but um, there's also who wants to have their life on the line you know with the decision being made you know um, by a program that is not yet fully vetted and maybe maybe that's like a you know, 20 year down the line thing but yeah to, to your to your point I, I love the, the, the this concept that it's really going to be the back end office it's going to be your life will get better as a patient it'll be less painful hopefully fewer forms. Um, yes. And you know, quicker turnaround so that you can get the care you need. And although the paperwork can be handled quickly, yeah, awesome. Well, you know, grounding it in LA, um, I love that you brought up the the bioscience community here, uh, which is which is strong. And yeah, they're doing they're doing some cool things, making you know, at least some folks are working on you know algorithms that help create better drugs and treatments. Uh, this is pretty neat, uh, but. Love to hear, uh, your most LA thing, you know, it's the most LA thing that's happened to you is that, uh, it doesn't have to be tech related. It could be, uh, yeah. love to hear it.
1: Um, well, the, the most LA thing, uh, I guess one thing that comes to mind, I was at, uh, I was at Yahoo, um, okay. uh, a number of years ago when I was in the ad tech space and we had gone out just with some coworkers to one of these hotels on, um, on the Santa Monica beach okay. have been shutters. I forget which one, right. which hotel it was. And, um, we had gone out, there's a pool, there were private cabanas, that, that type of thing. Okay. And, um, one of the, one of the women that was at our group was very, very professional person, very straight laced, very, you know, put together. Right. And, uh, Vince Vaughn had one of the cabanas <laughs> and she just lost it. Tried to get over there, got stopped by the guard. Was, <laughs> just broke character. Just was. <laughs> I saw an entirely different side of someone. Uh, that that evening. That's awesome. So that was a that was a fun that was a fun LA experience.
0: Yeah, Vince Vaughn poolside. Yeah, yeah. breaking a breaking character of a coworker. That's terrific. Uh, yeah, we will take that. That uh, he he was still is a very strong movie star and and back in the you know the yahoo days he it was probably him near his peak
1: yes it was
0: Uh, it was that's terrific yeah Yeah. uh yeah so um i'm just thinking like vince vaughn and Swinger is part of the reason i wanted to come out here no kidding character yeah oh interesting uh yeah i love that movie growing up and uh uh yeah part of part of la is uh is you know ingrained in that and i think the dresden room is still there and at least a couple of years ago pre pre-covid um that couple who plays in the bar is like rick and uh Mar- like marty and diane or something they, okay they were still playing okay so uh, they're still around go check them out i will uh that's a great pointer <laughs> well i want to thank you again thor for joining us uh Thank you so much for for sharing your knowledge on technology and healthcare and finance. This is this a great one. Really appreciate this conversation.
1: Well, thank you. I love to talk about this stuff, so I appreciate the opportunity and um I really enjoyed this. Oh, this great. it's great. The a you. big
0: smile on your on his face. So you can't see it because it's just audio only, but this is this is great. Thank you so much, Thor. All right. Uh I'd like to thank our sponsors again. It's uh, Product Manager Association Los Angeles at pma.la and Uruit, available at uruit.com. I'd like to thank you all for uh, listening to us once again, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Product in LA.